Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It is a nice and warm 69 degrees right now. Last night, it was actually warmer than normal. It was down only to about 64-ish. We've been dropping down to 60, 59, but actually opened the windows a little, a little bit for a while last night. So we're having a beautiful day, though. The sun is out, and as usual, no clouds in the land of paradise here. This is a February, the perfect time when most people come down. And if you are down here, in welcome. And uh, thank you for everybody that came to church yesterday. We were packed. I'm guessing, perhaps, we were the fullest we've ever been on our first service. So that's always exciting to see. And a blessing for us to have all the fellowship people coming back and just for the great time of fellowship that we get to have every year with you guys that come back. So that's wonderful. Um, let's look over to this day in trivia and see what's smoking there. Uh, first quote of the day, always be sincere, even if you don't mean it. <laughs> Got to think about that one. Um, okay, that's uh, quite pithy, if you think about it. Um, Mata Hari is captured on this day in 1917, the French, captured in France. She was sentenced to death as a German spy. During her execution, she refused to, to wear blindfold and, and, and uh, blew a kiss to her flying squad. You know, uh, the, the <laughs> millennial generation below don't know that phrase we hear on movies all the time, the old movies. Huh? You think you're a Mata Hari, don't you? Regular Mata Hari. She was the spy. That was seducing the soldiers, I guess, of the the British soldiers trying to get information um, for Germany, and she was caught. And let's see, French, the first French bomb, France, I should say, France explodes their first atomic bomb on this day on February thirteenth, nineteen sixty becoming the fourth atomic power with the US, USSR and UK. And this is a sad one. Lindbergh kidnapped. Bruno Hauptmann is found guilty for kidnapping and the murder of Charles Lindbergh's 20-month-old son. Hauptmann was arrested for the crime in September 1934 after using one of, one of the ransom money bills at a gas station, $14,600 of the 50000 of ransom money was found in his garage. He claimed that the money was left with him by a former business partner who returned to Germany. Well, he was found guilty of first-degree murder, murder and executed by electric chair in 1936. He claimed his innocence to, till the end and turned down the last minute offered to commute his sentence to life without parole in exchange for a confession. Interesting. I wonder if the Germans had something to do with that. More than we know. So on to the dad jokes. Okay, here's your first one. Why marry a zombie? Because they, they'll love you for your brains. 
All right, I know those aren't really Christian jokes per se, but they were kind of funny. What is white stands in front of the stairs and can't go up? A washing machine. <laughs> this is okay. That one just like why bother? Let's try another one. Why is it pointless to play hide and seek with mountain ranges? <laughs> because they peak. <laughs> now that's a classic dad joke. That'd be a good one to tell a little a little girl, a little boy. They'd like that one. So we are ready to get started. We are in Exodus sixteen through Exodus 18 and Matthew 27. So please find your place in your Bible, and we will pray and get started. Father, thank you for all my brothers and sisters that are gathered around your word, around your throne. I ask that you would guide us this beautiful morning. Show us your word. Show us the things you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, if you are dealing with some severe weather, send us a little update. Let us know how to pray for you because um, I don't keep up on all of the, the weather uh, going on, but I know some of you get snowed in and get some very, very uh, difficult situations this time of year, so we want to keep you in mind. All right, in Exodus 16, then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the sons of Israel, At evening you will know, that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumbling against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that quails came up and covered the camp, 
and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. And when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Verse 22 now, the Sabbath. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath rest. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it in, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there shall be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out together and found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long? Do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives your bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste like wafers with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to keep it throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Verse 35, the sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah, chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephadim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, 
Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff, with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named that place Massa and Mirabah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Verse 8. And Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us, choose men for us to go out to fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial to recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zephora, after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom. Moses said, I have been a soldier in a foreign land, and the other was named Eliezer. And he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God. He said, Word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the land of Egyptians for the Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I know the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel 
to eat the meat with Moses' father-in-law before God. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that was going on for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, and all the people stand all about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between the man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you are doing is not good, for you will surely wear out. Both yourself and these people are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I give you counsel, and God be with you. For you, you to be the people's representative before God, and to bring a dispute before God, then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work that they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds of fifties and tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their places in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people's leaders, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times, uh, the difficult disputes they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his own land. Moses, coming out of the wilderness, or coming into the wilderness, coming out of Egypt with all these people, is constantly, it seems, being attacked by his own people, thinking that he's basically trying to kill them. This is astounding because They've seen all of the plagues. They saw the death of the firstborn and the parting of the Red Sea and the water at Meribah. They've seen the most amazing things that any human could ever see. And it was over and over and over again. They saw the power of God and they saw his provision. And yet, once they get out there, they go, oh, now you're going to try and kill us? Was hunger and starvation and thirst. There's no awakening of the spirit yet. No awakening that this God who has all this power over the earthly elements also has a heart of of provision for his own people or those who he has chosen. It's just, it's mind-boggling to see how hard-hearted these people were. They've been in Egypt a long time and they had become very, very, very carnal. And so they're not as we think they are yet. Like Jews today or the Jews that we know during Jesus' day that had a strong faith in Yahweh. These did not. They're still coming to know him. In fact, Moses is bringing them to the mountain of God to meet him, really. After, after that 400 years, they had really forgotten 
uh, forgotten all the way from the time of Noah. They had they had been called to follow him through Jacob and, of course, Abraham, but now it's been so long they have forgotten him. So they're going to be reacquainted. And of course, he's reacquainting himself with them all along the way, but uh, he's going to show his glory there at the mountain. And so they complain, they complain, they complain, and uh, he. but God provides the manna that they need, what they need to, to, to sustain them coming directly from him and the water, exactly what they needed. And we, we find out that is what God desires to continue to do. Only it's on the spiritual level. What we need spiritually is what the, it's what the children of Israel needed physically. We need the daily sustenance that God would supply just as much as we should take to keep us alive. This is why we call it manna for breakfast, and we do this every morning. So it is, um, we would call it a necessity, although it's easy to put it aside, but if you want to stay healthy, this is one of the things that you should be attaining to and deciding to, knowing this is what you need on a daily basis. We see it played out for us in, in Israel here. The sad thing is, is that even though they, they were eating physically, they were not gaining the benefits spiritually. They were not connecting what he was doing. They're getting food from heaven, and they're not connecting that God wanted to to provide for them spiritually, provide for them in all ways. And they, they continue to grow rebellious and hard-hearted in all that they were doing. And even he finally gets his wife back, and Jethro comes and meets him, his father-in-law. And these people are just coming and complaining about everything. <laughs> so he's got to got to put some judges together and get some government. So this is where we see the the, the government beginning for Israel and how they're going to how they're going to um, judge rightly in their whole court system because they have no court system. This is this is two to three million people. There's no police force. There's no court system yet. Till now, this is starting to happen. Of course, they didn't quite need it that much because God did a good deal, a good job of weeding out the rebellious. Every time the rebellious and the and the bad people, the sin, sin, sinful people, they would be the ones that would disobey God, and um, He would send a plague or some snakes and some different things and take them out. So, but it's an interesting journey as we're seeing them grow in their knowledge of Yahweh. They're growing in their knowledge as they move through the wilderness. Matthew 27 now. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the, and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate the governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elder, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? He threw the pieces of silver in the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hung himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver that is not lawful to put them into the treasury, and uh, since it was the price of blood, and they conferred together with the money and bought a potter's field for strangers. And for this reason, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken of through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver 
the price of the one um, whose price had been set for the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer them. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear what many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one of the prisoners whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. <laughs> hard-hearted Israelites in the desert, hard-hearted Jews, now the same group, I mean, the descendants now, many years later, still not understanding who the manna from heaven was, that God was still trying to provide for them, that Jesus had come down from heaven as the manna, that which would sustain them but more for eternity, their souls, their spirits, and was bringing the bread of life to them, the water of the word, the water of life. And yet they reject him because of these Pharisees, because of these leaders, didn't want to lose their jobs, didn't want to lose control or power over the people, and they cry out for Barabbas. It's so interesting to see how this all plays out because the it needed to be done this way be, so that everyone would knew that Jesus was innocent because he was going to be the innocent pure spotless lamb the one that was innocent guilty of nothing to die for the sins of the world and pilate could see this he says what has this man done he hasn't done anything we don't care crucify him so he's going to go to the people but the people cry out for his blood be on us they have no idea that 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 statement would be so true and actually twofold. The blood would be upon them because of their culpability that they were the ones that rejected him. So therefore, the sentence of judgment of God would be over them. But yet, they're also praying for the blood of, of the Christ to be on them, that that same blood could also wash them and cleanse them 
and bring forgiveness if they looked for it, if they claimed it, if they asked for God to wash them with that blood. It's an amazing statement when you stop and think about it. And Jesus says nothing, except he does admit that he is the Son of God. But he knows that now this is his time. God is going to take him now to be that spotless lamb being sent to the slaughter, sent to be... um, the sin offering for the world. So he can't really say much. Now he has he has dedicated his body and his blood to be the offering for the Lord. He said, he has said everything he can say. All of the prophecies are being fulfilled. And of course, including Judas, who now asks for the money back or wants to give it back. But remember, and I've heard people say this, uh, like poor Judas actually I heard a blasphemous teaching from Joel Osteen talking about Judas was the most important man in the Bible and goofy, dumb stuff. Judas, people want to make him out to be a hero because he was the guy that went down because he sold Jesus out. Therefore, he was being used of God uh, for a noble cause. And yet Jesus said it would have been better for him never to have been born. And we see him going out with sadness and remorse, but not repentance. There's a big difference. Peter repented, Judas did not. So he goes out remorseful, but his it really shows his heart because you see that he walked with Jesus just like Peter did for three years. Peter is in tears that he would ever deny his Lord. He essentially did the same thing as Judas. He denied him as Lord publicly. Judas selling him out basically said, I don't think he's the Messiah. If I, whatever the situation, some people say, no, he did that because he knew he was the Messiah. He knew he needed to be go to the cross. There's no evidence of that. He was hoping that it would pressure them to make him king, and maybe, but he still, that would have been an, an, an earthly king, not the pure Lamb of God. So there's a lot on that side, but both of them, in a sense, rejected Jesus publicly. Peter, though, was in tears of, of repentance and asking for forgiveness, Judas just felt bad. But that was his nature was he never fully embraced him as Lord and Savior. He never got to that point. Even though he saw all the miracles and he walked with him, there was something in him. And if he was open enough that he allowed Satan to come into him, really. And uh, this is why it would never it was good that he'd never been born. And then, of course, he took his own life, which was totally against Jewish law. It was... Uh, Contrary to everything that the Jews believed even today. All right, we'll move on to Charles Spurgeon. Blessed in the field. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Deuteronomy 28.3. So was Isaac blessed when he walked therein at eventide to meditate. How often has the Lord met us when we have been alone? The hedges and the trees can bear witness to our joy. We look for such blessedness again. So was Boaz blessed when he reaped his harvest and his workmen met him with benedictions? May the Lord prosper all who drive the plow. Every farmer may urge this promise with God. If indeed he obeys the voice of the Lord God. We go to the field to labor as Father Abraham did. And since the curse fell upon the soil through the sins of Adam the first, it is a great comfort to find a blessing through Adam the second. We go to the field to exercise 
And we are happy in the belief that the Lord will bless that exercise and give us health, which we will use to his glory. We go to the field to study nature, and there is nothing in a knowledge of the visible creation which may not be sanctified to the highest uses by divine benediction. We have at last to go to the field to bury our dead. Yea, others will in in their turn take us to God's acre in the field. But we are blessed whether weeping at the tomb or sleeping in it. We're blessed. Father God, we thank you for those words and reading through your word today and seeing the love that you have for rebellious and stubborn people that even when they were constantly in disbelief and not trusting in you, you still provided them with manna. You still gave them meat to eat. You gave them water from a rock. And even then, Father, after all that, they still still denied you. They still fought against you. And the Jews in Jesus' time, as well as they were completely rebellious against you, rejecting everything that you were bringing to them because of their pride and their arrogance, and they were so prideful, God, that they demanded that you be crucified knowing that you were innocent, knowing that the only accusation, the only thing that, that, was, that you had done wrong was to come and show them the power of God. They had seen all your miracles, and yet they would not accept you as being from God. So God, we, we pray you just help us open up our minds and our hearts. We see you as you are, glorified deity, second person of the Trinity, never allowing the world to contaminate what we know to be the truth as they try and minimize who you were in the historical sense and trying to say you were nothing more than a good rabbi. We know better. And we bow before your throne as we saw in Revelation yesterday, God. We are gazing upon your throne as we get a glimpse into heaven through the book of Revelation and and, and Daniel, Ezekiel, and how glorious it is. And we see a man there. We realize that you are glorified and that you're there and you're readying yourself to come back for your bride. So we are blessed, excited. And we ask God that you show us these these truths as we walk through our day today. Help us to walk in the in the peace in the field of this world, and um, be trusting you and knowing that you are providing for us as we go through it. God, we pray for those that are sick. We pray for those that need your touch. We thank you for the healing that you're doing. Pray for the the center lines, and we pray for Abigail for her continual healing. Um, and God, that you would touch Kevin, that you touch Lee, bless them. And uh, Lenoy, you continue to heal some of her health issues. God, touching her body and strengthening her. Uh, Darren, for any issues going on with him, that you'd heal him up, God. Strong. Give him Sundays off, God, so as he desires, wants to spend time worshiping you, God. May that be a reality in his life. And we pray that the same for others that would, even Reuben, different people that have uh, been with us in the past but now get caught up in work. And Father, we know that's just part of the world, part of the enemy, trying to keep brothers and sisters divided and set, set apart. All those that really should be in church, they know it, but they, 
they find that they make more money on Sunday. And so, Father, we'd ask you to provide for them that they would make just as much money the rest of the week and then Sunday could take it off so there'd be no lack. Pray the same for Jorge and Maggie and Georgina. Thank you for all you're doing there. They might be able to bring them back as well. So we lift this up as well as our friends in Mexico City. And uh, those people that just need to make a living and have to really weigh out the benefits of working on Sunday or not. I pray that for Ugo, Victor, all the brothers that are that are thinking those lines. So thank you for what you're doing and for your healing touch upon our bodies. And do, God, a miracle work as we see the victims being pulled from the wreckage over there in, in Turkey and Syria. Just continue to do miracles. That's all we can say, Father, in this horrible tragedy, what's, been, what's happened over there. Thank you for the Samaritan's Purse. Thank you, the 700 Club, all the other ministries. We see Calvary Chapel being over there ministering faithfully. Strengthen those workers. Give them rest. Give them strength. Give them food. And those that are homeless, God, minister them. Help them find everything that they need. Reunite family and children with their parents. We just lift them up, God, and ask for a miracle to happen over there. So thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, Monday, I went kind of long. I guess there's more reading than normal uh, as far as length goes. But thank you guys for being with us. And remember the podcast. You can catch the edited version. And it would really be a blessing if you just subscribe so we can get visibility on any of the Google or Apple or Stitcher or um, Spotify. Just Matter for Breakfast. And um, just subscribe to that as well as whatever you're listening on right now subscribe to it it helps a ton so god bless you all and we will see you again tomorrow keep looking up mm-hmm.